Welcome to News in Context. I'm Gina Valeria. In this episode, we explore how much of the information we get is mediated, edited. And we all get different edits based on what the algorithm thinks we want. This means we see and understand things differently. And that's contributed to polarization and othering. My guest is Riaz Patel, executive producer and director focusing on reality shows with positive transformations. His show, The Connect Effect, seeks to counter the edits we all see by bringing people face to face so they can build relationships without the labels that define us in the media to reduce polarization and increase connection. This is Civity Week on News in Context. Civity is a culture of deliberately engaging in relationships of respect and empathy with others who are different, moving people from us versus them to we all belong. To learn more, go to civity.org. in media. And you mentioned in an interviewer in some writings that we're in a media-induced communications crisis. Mm -hmm. In what ways? I think we spend most of our lives experiencing the world through our screens. You know, that was a problem before COVID. I mean, since 2009, the smartphone that you carry everywhere and everyone's head is buried in it rather than looking around them. That was the problem. Then you have COVID where everyone is literally isolated and everything we learn about the world comes through our phone. Our work is through our phone. We buy through our phone. It all is experienced through our phone. And having worked in the screen world media for over two decades, the thing that people often forget is that everything on that screen is an edit. And that edit always has an intention. And the intention behind almost every single edit is the same. It's more likes. And so you're in this world where you're completely isolated. You're not in the real world. You're examining everything through the screen and the edits being shown to you are based on what you already like and what you already like to hate. That's the dark side, which is why we always feel so angry. You know, everyone's like, why am I so angry all the time? Because you're constantly being fed things that you like to hate. None of us are in the Middle East. None of us are in Ukraine right now. Everything we know about those situations comes through our phone and the types of edits we see. And now we know, depending on who we are and what we like, we're seeing different edits. So you're seeing a completely different version of the world than I am. And that's where the crisis begins, is that even though we're in an information age, all we do is exchange information, look at this edit, see this post, see this article, but connection is not remotely information-based. And that's why we're leading to a place where we're so disconnected is because all we're doing is exchanging information, which goes through brain and ego, all gets stuck up in the head, which is why we all need to be right. My information is better than your information. But connection is deeper than that. And I think it was Albert Morabian, one of the greatest minds in psychology, said that in all communication, only 7% is the words. 7%. And in the information age of screens, all we do is exchange words, post tweets. 93% is all the body language, tone, expression, all which comes through in person. And so part of the isolation we feel is from these screens that have us physically isolated and looking at completely different edits of the world. That brings to mind, I live in California and went to DC and then my friend and I went down to the Shenandoah Valley and the towns around there are, you know, predominantly conservative. Mm -hmm. And we walked into an antique store and the woman had sort of a Trump sort of shrine looking Thing behind her counter. We were walking around and then she asked us, oh, where are you from? And I said, oh, San Francisco. And she looked at me with genuine empathy and said, oh God, I'm, I'm so sorry. 
and I looked confused mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. she looked confused because I looked confused. I'm like, what are you sorry about? Oh, but I mean, isn't it bad? Yeah. Like, aren't these horrible because the edits of your life that she sees of the homelessness, right, exactly. the crime and the smash and grabs i mean i live in la i'm not far from you and because i i actively consciously curate my media to see both sides like the algorithm can't figure out what to do with me because i see literally both sides i will see edits of my own home in my area i live that are not recognizable to me yeah people are seeing edits of each other that's always amazing it's like you see the best of yourself you see the worst of everyone else. Right. Which is why we're so convinced we're right. Right, exactly. And thankfully, we ended up having a beautiful conversation. And at the end, she's like, oh, well, I've always heard it was beautiful, actually, and I would love to visit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we got through whatever that media narrative was into a real connection. And that was great. That's the only way. Yeah. Yeah, because you're standing in front of her. So you're not an edit when you're standing in front of her. And right. so she's looking at this person who seems very nice, smiling. Again, the 93% of body language expressions all coming across as not a crazy person, not the edit she sees, and that worked. That was more powerful. I always say that humanity wins even when humans get in the way. <laughs> because with you're with someone, you know, you can have all the information you want about them, but at some point they're sitting in front of you and they make a joke or the, and, and that humanity will kick in. Yeah. You came to this realization, or maybe you've always known it, but at some point you decided you wanted to do something about this. And can you talk a little bit about, you know, you're, you're living your life, you're in your career, you're with your family, you're doing your things. And then you somehow decided to create this amazing thing called Connect Effect. So before we sort of get into what that is, I would love to hear sort of about your story, your journey of coming to this realization. I was always interested in in transformation. And I, for many years, I wanted what is going to be a doctor. I come from many generations of doctor. I'm brown, so we're supposed to be doctors. <laughs> and I was planning that. I was pre-med and, and on my way to be a doctor. And I was having this real crisis with being gay. Now, this is a while ago. This is 94. And really, for about a decade, like, I hate this thing about me. And I was struggling, really struggling during finals week. And I happened to be home alone. And a movie came on the television called Morris. It's an old Merchant Ivory film, art house film. And in those two hours, it was the first time it occurred to me that gay love could be beautiful, that it wasn't this horrible thing. And, and in that two hours, my entire perspective of a decade flipped. And so I was like, that medium, that entertainment can be so transformative. So that, that's what I do. So I have this career doing transformative shows, shows with Super Nanny, um, shows about women in body dysmorphia, shows family in crisis, anything with an authentic transformation I'm already interested in. Then I'm in Orlando during the Pulse nightclub shooting, and we're staying about a mile away. And I'm at a Pakistani wedding, wearing Pakistani attire the next day and watching people watch us as we walk down the street. And I'm thinking, oh no, here we go again. This happened during 9-11, this happened during the Iran hostage crisis. Like they're going to be bombarded with edits of the worst kind of Muslims, the most fanatical crazies, people I've never met. That's gonna now be the media narrative. And so I reached out to Glenn Beck, who would be my opposite, and said to him, to his producers, look, I'd love to just have a conversation. No, no sound bites, just a conversation. If he's interested, I'll come fly myself. We'll sit down for an hour and we'll just talk. Because again, if we're in person, not even Skyping, if we're in person, then we both want to find the connection. I bet you we can. So we go back and forth. and I, Eventually they agree and I fly myself to Dallas and I'm so nauseous because I'm not an on-camera person. And we go. And then as we start talking, on most things, we're pretty much in agreement. But some things he's bringing up, I don't know what he's talking about. 
news stories, articles, current events. I have no idea what he's referring to. And that's where I was like, wait a minute. This is a completely different set of information that I'm getting. Right or wrong wasn't even in my mind. It was just, I don't know what you're talking about. And I read the news. And, I, and so that's where I was like, oh, no. This is the problem why people can't connect is because they're looking at two different views of the world. And so being a reality producer, I was like, okay, let me see if I can bring groups of people that don't want to sit down. Let me bring them together, sometimes on camera, sometimes off, and see if I can get them to connect. And I did this for seven years. I did it with friends that stopped speaking. I did it in Alaska. I did it in New York. I did it in Texas. I did 20 shows with Glenn Beck. And I would watch. And so often people would just not connect. And it was shocking because I'm like, you're right there. What is going on? And they were so stuck in the things that I've seen about you are so horrible. The things I've seen about you are so horrible. And I realized that the spark of what began Connect Effect was, oh, no, when they introduce themselves, they lead with labels. I am this. I am liberal. I'm conservative. I'm and we're so taught when we introduce ourselves, there's always this sort of like, we introduce to impress. I'm this, this is my job, this is my title. And it doesn't allow connection to happen. And so I realized as I started developing what would become Connect Effect, that if I could create a perfect way to introduce strangers, one that leaned into vulnerability and openness and showed them all the connections they have before even they started talking, maybe the conversation that resulted would be much more productive and connective. And that's what led to Connect Effect. And the beginning of the epic system is, which is what Connect Effect is based on. As you're talking, I think about the terror that labels can evoke and not just the I hate you terror, but also my best friend, his labels are gay Persian Jew. And after 9-11, you mentioned I was terrified that someone was going to mm -hmm. do something terrible mm -hmm. to him because they would mm -hmm. only see his labels. And I married a person of color and my parents only saw the label and thought something was going to mm -hmm. happen to me. The breadth of our people we come across is so massive, like whether it's business or by phone, then became Zoom. Became, we just there's so many people. And so we have this shorthand of just putting people in boxes. I always tell people, you know, I, I would wake up in a Muslim house in a Christian world where I was sent to Jewish schools where everyone thought I was Hindu. Right. And I, I was born on one hemisphere and raised on the other. You know, I'm a guy, but because I'm gay, I'm not one of the guys. And I'm one of the girls often, but because I'm actually a guy, I'm not a girl. Right. And so there's nowhere in the world that I am a majority. Unless they open up a fabulous gay bar in downtown Islamabad, <laughs> it is unlikely I will ever walk into a room where I am the majority. And so I'm very sensitive to labels. And the mantra of my life is, I'm not what you think I am. I'm not who you think I am, whether it's the Muslim thing, the immigrant thing, the gay thing, the Pakistani thing. It's all these stories. And you know, your parents saw stories of what people of color were like on the news. It wasn't just the labels. It was that they were bad. They were dangerous. You know, I remember growing up in, in the 80s and there was you know, constantly black men paraded in front of cameras on their way to prison. And it was very much the narrative was be very, very scared. Um, and for us, it was always, you know, the crazies in the mountains, the, the Muslims who I've never met one on the side of a mountain and bombing buildings. And that was what people thought, you know, a billion Muslims were like. It was just, again, the edits that were sensational enough and scary enough for the ones that traveled.
And that was on the news beforehand in newspapers. And now it's, you know, a million times a day in the algorithms. And so really part of the connect effect is to break those labels and to see each other in a way to introduce people in a way that completely circumvents the labels. What do you think it is about connect effect that actually gets people to sit down and really see each other? My lane is entertainment. When you arrive at connect effect, the music's pumping, the lights are dimmed. It's a show. And so that is a little bit of an easier barrier for entry for people who are more guarded is they're going to come to a show. It's interactive, but it is designed to be entertaining. If you put sugar in with the medicine, people will take it. And so we find that people enjoy the experience. They recommend it to friends because it's actually fun. It's designed that way. The thing that I think is the power behind it is this EPIC system, um, which we developed. So what is the EPIC system? EPIC is an acronym, as there's so many. Equalization, personalization, information gathering, collaboration. But the key of Connect Effect is in the E, equalization, that we often will describe it as a hard reset of shared humanity. When you go to Connect Effect, we remind you of the many, many, many things you have in common that you often don't think about. Experiences in childhood that you have in common. Experiences of feeling othered. Experiences of being bullied. Experiences of singing in the shower. Experiences of having an imaginary friend as a child. The way we introduce people leans into all these commonalities in a way that we don't see them when we see each other. You know, So much of what we see is literally just surface. And because of that, we end up making these surface judgments. But in about 12 minutes, you're introduced to all these strangers in a way that you see so many commonalities. You laugh at the similarities that you would never know. You would never meet people and introduce yourself the way you do in Connect Effect. If you're going to talk about something you disagree about, the worst way to start that conversation is about the thing you disagree about. Right. That is the worst way to start it. It's like, okay, let's talk about guns now. I don't know you, I don't know anything about you, but let's talk about guns because I know we disagree. That's going to go nowhere. Right. And so what we realized, and we sometimes refer to connect like a step zero. So you want to have a conversation productive across divides, across differences. We're step zero. Fine. Let us introduce you all in a way that leans into humanity so the people that even if they're bringing opposing views, you've got some emotional currency with. You've got some emotional real estate with, and that trust is key. I always say the greatest mantra is if you change what you're looking for, it will change what you see. And if you go into a conversation looking for the differences, you will find them. If you go into a conversation looking for the connections, you will find them. And Connect Effect allows people after literally only 60 minutes to lean in on connections, even across massive divides. We've done it in places where people did not want to even sit down near each other. And then they went through the experience and they got up and they started productively talking about issues in their community. So it's, it's a powerful thing. And part of its power is it's an emotional shift so that you can, when you exchange the information, you can lean on untrust. You listen more. You empathize more. You really do respect the other opinion. It's almost like you're shifting the labels. Yeah. Realize that the person you're sitting with had that first bike ride when no one was holding the bike. They had that first day of first grade where they were nervous or scared. They had that first birthday party. What was that gift that we remind people again in a world that tends to reduce us to two-dimensional little labels that we are three-dimensional, that that whether someone has a, a, a Trump hat or a Biden hat, that hat is the representation of thousands and thousands and thousands of days. And you cannot separate that from the person. Even as we try to, in a world of, of, of quickness, we try to just say, okay, I get, I get it. You're Muslim. I know what that is. Connect Effect says, okay, in 60 minutes, you're going to see these people in a way you never see strangers. And then after that, you start talking. And, and then when you start talking, 
The P of Epic is personalization. Now, remember, if you've got a study, I've got a study. You saw a news article, you're, I've got a news article my way. You have research that shows your point of view is right. I've got, re that's not going to get you anywhere. Personalization means tell me what you know because you experienced it, because that's the only truth you can trust. And then when someone's personalizing it, the best thing you can do is I, information gather. What was that like for you? How old were you when that happened? Not judge, summarize, just information gather. And then when you've equalized, then you personalize information gather, then you can collaborate. See, then you collaborate on solutions. You're listening to News in Context. I'm Gina Valeria. We're talking with executive producer and director Riaz Patel about how to start with connection before we dive into issues to help bridge differences and truly begin to tackle our challenges. The moment I realized I need to create something that introduces people in a way that allows them to see the best in them was the result of one of my failed attempts to bring people together as I was doing a podcast special with Glenn Beck, where I was bringing seven Americans from the same community after a school shooting. All of them had kids and none of them wanted their children to be shot. And they don't separate the children by political affiliation when they shoot. So I said, okay, behooves us all to work together. Didn't go anywhere. Whole thing spiraled out of control. Didn't work. I remember being devastated. I'm like, wait a minute, how did this go so wrong? The mistake was I let them introduce themselves. And so it's like, my name is Anna. I'm a liberal. I'm a progressive. I'm this. And already everyone's got them in their boxes. That's when I realized I need to introduce people through an experience. But what was so profound and what happened is at some point, Anna, the chapter leader of Moms Demand Action, was sitting right next to Denise, who worked at the NRA, literally was a firearms instructor. At some point, and I think was talking about what it would feel like to lose someone suddenly and unexpectedly. And Denise had a couple of family members die in car accidents. So she got choked up about it. So after this whole group went off the rails, no one agreed on anything. It was a disaster. I get a text from Denise saying, I liked the woman sitting next to me. I'm really disappointed that we didn't get to, maybe she and I could talk again. And I realized that that moment of connection had nothing to do with the information we were discussing, it was a human connection. You lost someone, I lost someone. And so then they ended up meeting, a little bit guarded, both of them. And then Denise made a size joke about bullets, something about the bigger the size, the bigger penetration. And they giggled, and that was it. That was the moment they laughed, the guards came down, and they just started talking. And then as you get to the end of the podcast special, quick 38 minutes, she says, we agree on almost everything. But it literally took that unexpected moment of humanity, feeling connected to someone you're sitting next to because you feel their sadness. You feel it on a visceral level. And they still, they started going back and forth to each other's meetings. And it's the only bridge I can think of in the world between the NRA and Moms Demand Action. We've done it in places, communities like Orange County, where people didn't want to sit next to each other. We've done it at universities where students are not just afraid of each other's in COVID, but afraid ideologically of each other. And it's amazing. We just did it in DC. And I remember this guy, he started to get very emotional, probably 23. He started to get very emotional, started crying. And we asked him afterwards why. And he said, I have wasted years in isolation. I've wasted years thinking that this kind of in-person connection wasn't important, that I was fine. And then I had this wonderful conversation with all these strangers. And I realized 
I've been missing it. And this is what life is about. Our lane is mental health and connection. That in isolation, we all become more polarized because again, we're learning about the world through screens, the more isolated we are. And so our whole mantra is to guide people away from the screen world and into deep, meaningful connection again in the real world. Something I've always loved about my kind of reality documentary producing is you really don't know what's going to happen. You've designed all these experiences that you hope, but we won't know if it really works till it works. Every time we do Connect Effect, I get nervous. All of our trained interconnectors get nervous because we don't know. I have to say it always works. Appreciate what you said just now about mental health. Yeah. When you think about someone who's isolating themselves or divided, you know, there's a lot of pain, a lot of isolation, a lot of negativity, a lot of fear. And those all can play into our mental health. You know, I, I ask people, when do you post your most angry, righteous, irritated posts? You don't do it when you're having a great time out with friends. You don't do it when you're having a wonderful day. You do it when you're angry, when you're frustrated, when you're standing in line, when the kids aren't listening, when you've had a glass of wine, when you've had a bottle of wine. <laughs> That's where we go. And and this internet, this social media collects all of our rage and then feeds it to us. Algorithms and ad sales and anger all are what drive people to the ends, which is why the world looks like a dumpster fire. And when you bring people together and they end up really connecting, that's where I see the hope. But we do turn to social media generally when we're isolated. If we're engaged in life, we're not on our phone. It's when we're on our phone that we are not engaged in life. We know that people are isolated. We know that one out of four Americans feel like they have no one to talk to and one out of two feel alone most of the time. That's the root cause of polarization and lack of tolerance, as well as addiction and mental health and soaring suicide rates. But one of the things we love the most is how profoundly we can equalize generations. And we end up so often with a 70-year-old and a 20-year-old really seeing each other and connecting. And those intergenerational friendships are a solution to so many problems. But in the real world, there's nothing that equalizes across generations. That's a big potential solution in mental health is intergenerational friendships between the 25-year-old who's struggling but doesn't want to hear her parents' voice, but could really use a friend who has time, who has wisdom, and vice versa. I tell my nieces and nephews all the time, happy people don't do negative things. Yes. So if someone's doing a negative thing, you don't want to put yourself in harm's way, but you do want to like do what we're talking about. Try to find a way to connect with them or at least have an understanding of the fact that they're not happy and trying to slough that off on you. Totally. The loudest, most annoying voices on Facebook that I know, and I can think of three right now, <laughs> three people who are outrageously posting their, all three of those people in their lives, unhappy in their marriage, or not married no, with no one, unhappy with their career, frustrated. I know them personally to know they're not remotely where they thought they would be in life. And the thing that they turn to, and then they get validation in these like thumbs up constantly, is rage. They just are an endless supply of rage. And social media will take that rage, store it very nicely, and then deliver it to people in steady streams whenever they sit down. We talk about the fact that mediated social media phones are a big part of this problem, but they also can be a big part of the solution. When you shared your story of seeing that movie mm -hmm. and realizing, you know, something positive that's the power of media to help and to heal. And I love that you are harnessing that 
aspect of media to connect effect because the other aspect of it is this work is so hard to scale, mm -hmm. but you have this position where you're able to put it out on screens as well to counter the media that's, that's dividing us. I'm in Hollywood. I'm in the belly of the beast. And it's very hard for them to green light a show that doesn't have a lot of conflict. It's just constant conflict, conflict. And so I almost feel like in the 1960s, when government stepped in with children's television to say, okay, these children have different needs. We need to program for them and private money, like cigarette money is not going to help. I almost feel like government has to step in to help fund connective programming because I've pitched all over town. I know everyone here and they can't greenlight it because ad sales will say, we want, what's the hook? What's the twist? What's the water cooler moment? And so we're looking to partner with local governments because again, if you open up 70 locations of connect effect around America, each one of them soaks up communities that have stopped talking and neighbors that have stopped talking and then tape shows that have people looking like them and sounding like them and focusing their attention on solving local things rather than everyone melting down about what's happening in Florida and California. And so our big model in a few years is that these connection hubs become regional micro studios. And those studios have talk shows with real people talking across divides and differences that give people hope and allow people to come up with solutions rather than just fighting about problems. It's funny that no one's greenlighting these things because the Great British Bake Off is everyone's favorite show. And what is it? It's lovely people cooking. Yeah, the Great British Bake Off could never work in American television because here's the difference. It's the Great British Bake Off one, you have people of all backgrounds. And at some point on episode two or three, they talk about their differences or something. It doesn't, in America, you'd have the Muslim person and the background package when they introduce her is like, here she is and she faced hate and her father died and here's a shot of her in the graveyard and she's doing this. Everything is to the nth degree in American television. I was shooting a, many years ago, a show called Last Picks for MTV about those kids who are picked last. It was a reality show about them sort of like, you know, being able to show who they were. And slowly as we started developing it and developing and getting closer, it got more like a prank show, more like a prank show, more dark, more dark. And I remember on location in, in Hutto, Texas, the MTV executive, who I am still friends with, but I won't work with anymore, said to me, like, I want you to do this. And I was like, no, no, that's not the show I sold you. And it's not the show I'm going to run if this goes forward. And he said to me, yes, you will. They all do. <gasps> and I said to him, no, I won't. I won't do a show that makes people feel bad. And that's always the root of it in America. It's what is the conflict? How can I one-up you? Something as charming as Great British Bake Off would never make it through without, okay, in this part, now they have sabotage her souffle. She's in a wheelchair and so the wheelchair crashes. Like it's all sensationalized. That's going on. And yet you are working on moments of hope inside the media space, but also real life connections, bringing people together. So I want to ask you, What's the moment of connection in your life that makes you smile? My kids, my kids, they're six and seven. And again, I grew up in an era where I would say the hardest thing about being gay in the 80s and 90s was not just how marginalized, how terrible it was, how shameful it was. Then there was AIDS is I would never get married and I would never have children. Mm. And that is something that I mourned for decades that this way that God had made me I was not going to be allowed to ever get married and I would never be allowed to have a family. And then here I am. And that's, I think, really the source of my optimism. I'm living a life that did not exist 15 years ago, 20 years ago. It was not even a dream that it was possible. And so I tell people, 
You have to go forth with radical hope. Again, if you change what you're looking for, it'll change what you see. If you're looking for the radical leaps of hope, it's there. Is there anything else you want to say that I didn't ask you that you think it's important for people to know? When you put down the phone and you step away from the screen world and into the real world, you will see hope everywhere. We have so much more in common with people than the screens will ever let you believe. I don't think big solutions and change are going to come from the top down because media makes too much money off of it. Politics makes too much money off of it. Tech makes too much money off of it. It really is people at a grassroots level connecting. When people say, I'm not following you, crazy, crazy person trying to stunt me and get me angry. I'm unfollowing you. They slowly, slowly, slowly lose their power because when they go from 10 million followers to 10, they will change their messaging because that's their edit. That's an edit of the world. Everything on that screen is an edit. Lean into the edits that give you hope. Thank you to my guest, executive producer and director, Riaz Patel, creator of the Epic System and Connect Effect. To learn more, go to connecteffect.us. This is Civity Week on News in Context. Civity is a culture of deliberately engaging in relationships of respect and empathy with others who are different, moving people from us versus them to we all belong. To learn more, go to civity.org. Music in this episode includes Spring Fling by Track Tribe and The Heist by Silent Partner. In addition to hearing News in Context every Friday at 8.30 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. on KSFP 102.5 in San Francisco, you can hear it on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, iHeartMedia, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Podbean, YouTube, and PRX. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at News in Context SF and on Instagram at News in Context. And you can find links to all of that at newsincontext.net. I'm Gina Valeria. Thank you for listening.